Well, we are spending some time this summer just looking at some of those uh, characteristics, some of those character qualities that God wants to develop uh, in our lives. Summarized there in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to focus on on that that, uh, characteristic of patience today. Maybe you've heard of the uh, the Russian comedian uh, Yakov Smirnov. He talks about when he first immigrated to the United States, he said one of the things that most fascinated him were the grocery stores. He said, you know, you, you walk into the grocery stores and there's all these options and all these choices. And he said, he said, you know, it goes down this one aisle and there's powdered milk. He said, well, you just add water and suddenly you have milk. And, and he went just a little further and there's powdered orange juice and you just add water and you you have orange juice and this is great and so then he went down another aisle and there was baby powder and he thought whoa what a country right what a country right I mean man instantly things happen in this country right well we know babies don't quite happen that fast but a lot of times we expect a whole lot of other things in life to happen just that fast, right? Just add water. In fact, is there's folks that are telling us that technology is making us even more and more a society of instant gratification. I mean, we want, we want things to happen very, very quick. The Boston Globe uh, did an article on this, this instant gratification and the speed of it seeping into just about every corner of our lives. And as a part of that article, Uh, They talked about a study that was done. Researchers had done this study on 6.7 million Internet users. A little scary to think about the fact that they can survey the usage of 6.7 Internet users. But what they were looking for is how long will people wait for a, a, a video to download? How long? And here's what is 6.7 million. So that's a pretty good sample size, right? Here's what they found. They found within two seconds, if it hadn't started within two seconds, 10% of the people already checked out. They checked out if it hadn't loaded in two seconds. Five seconds, the abandonment rate was 25%. If it hadn't loaded in five seconds, 25% of the people that had clicked on it already had it abandoned. If it took 10 seconds, right? We're talking just 10 seconds. If it hadn't started in 10 seconds, 50% abandonment rate. 50% folks said, I'm not waiting around for this kitty cat video any longer, right? I'm out of here, right? And that, that, that sense of, of instant gratification, instant, we want everything instantly, kind of seeps into almost every area of our life. Maybe you've been one of those that has uttered that, that American prayer, right? Lord, give me patience and give it to me now, right? And that's how we want it. We, we want it very, very quickly. And yet, one of the things that some of us are even scared to ever pray, for is patience, right? Because we're scared about what God might use to develop that in our life. But we know it is one of the things that God wants to display and develop in our lives. The word patience there in Galatians 5 is actually an interesting one in the Greek. It's a compound word, markothumia. It comes from two words, markos, which means uh, long or far, and thumos, which means hot, anger, or wrath. You put the two together and it means long-suffering or long-tempered. 
the opposite of when we think of somebody has a short fuse or short-tempered along the way. Patience here is someone who has a long temper, that they have that, that patience. You know, patience really is a mark of maturity. And when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things that, that has bothered me at times is, at times even in the church world, it seems like we, we, elevate, we elevate giftedness over character. We're, we're more enthralled with somebody's giftedness, their charisma, than we are their character. And I, I think, I think God, God looks at the character first. Giftedness matters. He's the giver of giftedness. But character matters more. And so when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, this is really a mark of maturity. This is where the rubber of our Christianity, the rubber of our faith meets the road. How is it being displayed in all of the interactions of our life. Patience should be one of the hallmarks of maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Proverbs puts it this way, whoever's slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. That there is something wise, there is something mature about long-tempered, being slow to anger, being a man, being a woman of patience. And it is certainly one of the virtues that God displays toward us. Well, why is patience so challenging? Well, because we live in a world that seemingly tests our patience all the time, right? And there's all sorts of things that test our patience. Let's just lump them into four categories this morning for the sake of of, of our teaching. The first category we might think of as interruptions. Interruptions, those things that interrupt our plans, interrupt our agenda, interrupt our our schedule, how we saw things playing out in our brain. There's a New Testament example of that when Jesus was with the disciples. And they kind of had that agenda, you know, uh, we're going to have the adult conversations and, uh, you know, the important people. I mean, Jesus needs to talk and be in touch with these influencers and that sort of thing. And then there's these folks that bring kids to Jesus, right? These little kids, right? And, And notice the disciples' reactions. Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. This is not how we saw this going. We weren't planning on you bringing these kids in. But Jesus responded differently. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Have you noticed how often our best laid plans are interrupted? I don't know about you, but you know, you kind of, this is how the day was going to go. This is how this relationship is going to go. This is how this project was going to unfold. I was going to have this time to work on this thing, and then this person comes in, or this phone call, or this email, or this text, or this crisis pops up, or whatever it is. All of these interruptions come into our lives. So sometimes uh, we we generate some of those. Sometimes they're they're generated by other people or situations around us. But they interrupt. They interrupt our plans. They interrupt our agenda. They interrupt our preferred pace and preferred way of doing things. Interruptions test our patience. But not only is it about interruptions, but sometimes inconveniences. Sometimes people do or don't do things that greatly inconvenience us. Another biblical example of that out of the life of Jesus. He's visiting with Mary and Martha Martha and Lazarus. We're going to 
uh, touch bases uh, in another episode with them and Jesus here in just a few moments. But he's visiting in their home, a place that uh, he, he loved to be. And Martha is just working herself to death. She is, she is getting it, getting it done. Her sister Mary, on the other hand, is kind of sitting at the feet of Jesus, observing the teaching. And eventually Martha kind of responds to this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Basically, she is making it very inconvenient for me. She is increasing my workload. She's not helping to to carry the load here. She's not doing what I expect her to do. Life sometimes, people sometimes inconvenience us. They do things that, that make it harder for us. They don't do things that make it less convenient for us. Sometimes it's not even just an individual. It's a system. It's a structure and it seems so cumbersome and so inconvenient and you you go and you stand in the checkout line and you sit there and you fuss and you fume there's got to be a better way why in the world can I get that I mean it just it is just inconvenient and inconveniences test our patience not only interruptions and inconveniences but sometimes it's just irritations right Irritation. Sometimes situations, events just irritate us. They rub us the wrong way. Sometimes it's, it's that person, right? And my guess is, if, yeah, I just said irritations, and some of you had a face pop up, right? It's like, that name or that person, that doing, and don't look at them right now. But, but you, you know that person, right? They, they just, something about them, what they do or don't do, or the way they talk, or what, it just irritates you, man. It just irritates you to death. And again, you see many examples of that in Scripture. One Old Testament example in 1 Kings, Ahab, who certainly was a a wicked king, got irritated. He got irritated because uh, this guy wouldn't sell him this piece of land that he wanted for a vineyard. So Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen. You ever got vexed and sullen when somebody just irritated the heck out of you? Because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. He is irritated. He is irritated so much, and his wife, you read the rest of the story, she comes in, and she is more wicked than he is, gives him some counsel as to how to get this land, which includes uh, doing some uh, horrible things uh, to Naboth there. And so just uh, just, uh, the, the irritations of life just test our patience. And when it comes to those irritations, we, we must learn the lesson of the oyster, right? You know the oyster, right? Now, the oyster gets that, that little irritant inside, right? And how does it respond? <laughs> Makes a pearl. Makes a pearl, right? Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. Could it be, could it be that that interruption, that inconvenience, that irritant that is in your life, God is using God is using to create something beautiful in your life. He's using to to, to shape something wonderful in your life. He's using to grow 
your life. Inconveniences, interruptions, irritations, one more. How about inactivity? Inactivity. Sometimes inactivity tests our patience. It's, it's when we, we, we think something should be happening, it should be happening now, or, and we don't see any movement, or we don't feel like we can do anything, or maybe we look and say, God, you're not doing anything. Inactivity sometimes can drive us crazy. The, Boston, the New York Times did an article on, uh, by Alex Stone, the journalist, and he was writing about how executives at an airport in Houston handled complaints about the slowness of luggage getting off the planes and getting where people could pick it up. And so they said, well, this, we're getting all these complaints. And so they said, well, what's the way to fix this? They said, well, the way to fix this, we're going to hire more baggage handlers. Hire more baggage handlers, streamline our system. And they did. They, 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 they dropped the numbers so the, the minutes between the, the plane landing and getting that luggage to the belt where people could pick it up, it had dropped way, way, way below industry standards. I mean, they were doing an excellent job of that. The problem was the complaints didn't stop. The complaints didn't drop, even though their speeds had increased considerably. Then somebody had another idea. They said, what if we switched the gates? What if we had the arriving flights come in at farther gates so that people had to walk a longer distance to get to the luggage pickup? They did that, and you know what happened? Complaints dropped. Complaints dropped. The luggage was still getting there at the same time it had before, but there was a difference. The difference was now people were walking instead of standing there staring at an empty belt. And the complaints dropped. Stone goes on in that article. He interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson. Larson said, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Larson said, there's a difference between occupied time, for example, walking to baggage claim, far better than unoccupied time, such as standing at the baggage carousel. Give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. But that is the rub for some of us. We get in the season, and we feel like there's nothing for me to do, right? I can't do anything. That's why, I don't know about you, it tests my patience to be in the line at the store, right, to check out. And, and I don't know about you, I have the spiritual gift of whatever line I pick will suddenly stop, right? <laughs> I mean, there, there will be something messed up with the, the tape or, or somebody will start digging through their, their luggage that they brought with them looking for that coupon, you know, 50 cents off. I'm like, lady, I will give you the 50 cents. Let's just move, right? I, was, I mean, that inactivity, right? And then sometimes we feel like, God, I'm waiting on you and I don't see you doing anything. Abraham was a biblical example of that. He had been given this promise that he was going to have this son. He was going to be the father of many nations, and yet there was no son. And year after year, and a decade passed, and another decade passed, and still no son. And while he couldn't see the activity of God, God was shaping Abraham's life. He was shaping Abraham's character to be the man that could 
be the, the recipient of this promise so that by the time Hebrews in the New Testament is looking back, Abraham is lifted up as an example of patience. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Sometimes our patience is tested by inactivity. But whether it's interruptions or irritations or inconveniences or inactivity, what I want you to know is that God uses all of these things. God will use all of these things to develop patience in our lives. And and maybe it would begin to help if we just begin to to reframe a little bit to say, say, wait a minute, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing in the midst? How are you using this irritation? How are you using this inconvenience? How are you using this season of apparent? inactivity? How are you using this thing in my life to shape my character, to mold my life for you and for your assignments for my life? God's going to use all of those things to shape my life, to develop patience in our lives. But as we've been seeing in this series on this fruit of the Spirit, as God seeks to develop and display these character qualities, God not only works, but he invites us to be a part of that process as well. And so we have a part in developing patience. There are things that you and I can do to develop patience. And I just want to just highlight four of those this morning as a way maybe to, to get us thinking about how do I cooperate with God in developing this patience my life. And the first thing, hopefully will come as no surprise if you've been tracking with this series at this point, is that I need to nurture my walk with the Lord. That that if I'm going to allow God kind of full access to develop what he wants to develop in me, I have to pay attention. I have to to nurture my relationship with the Lord. Mark's gospel is, is a short gospel. It's kind of to the point, he, he keeps things moving in there. Interesting, toward the front end of the gospel, though, he makes this observation about Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, you can read over that real quickly in, in kind of the, the pace of Mark's gospel. But, but I want you to pause there for just a moment and reflect. Here's Jesus, a lot of demands, a lot of people who have plans for his life, a lot of folks who want his time and his attention and have an agenda for him. And what does Jesus do? He gets up and he prioritizes and he guards time to be alone with the Father. Now here's what challenges me out of that. If Jesus needed to do that while he walked the face of the earth, how much more do I need to do that? How much more do I need to prioritize time being alone with my Father so that I position myself to allow him to do the work in me that he wants to do through his word, through his prayer, through solitude, through silence, whatever it may be, so that I position myself in a way that allows God to kind of have full access to do what he desires to do. That's why right alongside Galatians 5 in this series, we've been laying this scripture of John 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. That I am dependent upon God for everything, beginning with the beating of my heart and the breath of my lungs, but particularly when it comes to developing the fruit of the Spirit in my life, I am absolutely dependent upon Him. The fruit of the Spirit in my life, and particularly the fruit of patience, is developed as I stay connected to Jesus Christ. And so one of the primary things that I can do to cooperate with God in developing patience is to prioritize ways to nurture my relationship, to grow, to cultivate my relationship with God. It's very interesting that, and certainly some of it grows out of the society in which Jesus was teaching, but if you go through how many of Jesus' teachings were agricultural examples? Because agriculture takes time, doesn't it? It's not instant grits. You have to have seasons, seasons of planting and seasons of of fertilizing and weeding and growing and all those things and irrigating and all of that before the harvest comes. It takes time. Nurture my walk with the Lord. But secondly, out of that, hopefully that will help me to develop a new perspective, to develop a different perspective. One of the reasons we struggle with patience is because our time frame and our time horizon sometimes gets so, so shrinked down, so, so small. God operates out of a different time frame, a different perspective. Notice some of the descriptors in the New Testament of, of who we are to be. These all died, Hebrews 11, talking about some of the heroes of the faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged, here's their perspective, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The perspective that these men and women had was, wait a minute, this is not all there is to life. This run of of 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years, that's not all there is to life. I am just in many ways passing through. This life in many ways is preparation for the life that is to come. And when you begin to have that sort of perspective, it changes the way that you deal with the realities of your life here and now. They understood. They were just passing through through. Paul talked about how he dealt with sufferings and trials, the irritations and the the challenges of life. Look at what he said to the Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. These things that inconvenience me and irritate me and challenge me, they're, they're, they're not worth comparing to what God is preparing, what God is revealing, what God is doing in us. To the Corinthians, he said, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What different might, difference might it make if, if I began to, to view my life as preparation for eternity? 
If I began to understand that this is, this is just temporary, if I began to understand it, it, it's not just about this moment or this half hour or this hour, but it's, it, it's about all of that unfolding against the backdrop of eternity. When I have an eternal perspective, it begins to change the way I deal with myself, I deal with other people, I deal with circumstances and situations. Each of us needs to learn to look at things from a little different perspective, certainly an eternal perspective, but particularly from God's perspective, from God's perspective. So I want to just uh, encourage you, write a scripture uh, in, the, in the corner of your, your notes there, 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, 8. Listen to these words, familiar to some of you. But do not overlook Peter, who wasn't the most patient person, but God continued to work in his life. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That's a different perspective, isn't it? That's a different perspective. And, and that, that, that God is, is working in a different way. God is at times working on an agenda that is so much bigger than ours. He is, he is preparing for us a kingdom that is so much bigger and better than ours. And we need to begin to look at it from God's perspective. God reminded us through the Isaiah, uh, through I, the prophet Isaiah, the difference of his perspective and his ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's perspective reminds me that, that he is in control. And by the way, aren't you thankful that God is patient with you? I mean, think about it, right? Aren't you glad that... God doesn't respond impatiently when you irritate him <laughs> or inconvenience or disappoint or stumble in the same old way again and again and again. Aren't you thankful that God is patient? Seeing things from God's perspective says, you know, God's in control. He's accomplishing his purpose. And he might be using that irritant. And he might be using that inconvenience. And he might be using this season that appears to be a season of inactivity. And he, he might be using that interruption tomorrow morning to accomplish his purpose. And so I come back and say, God, your ways are not my ways. And so I want to see things from an eternal perspective. I want to see them from God's perspective. But can I just also encourage you, also learn to look at things from the perspective of others. From the perspective of others, Philippians encourages us, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's not just about how, how is this impacting me, but, but, but how is that impacting that person who's, who's struggling to get that machine to work in the checkout line, who's digging for that coupon because they're trying to pinch every penny to make it work. What difference does it make if I begin to look at things from the perspective of another? You know, you've heard that old saying, walk a mile in another's shoes. You know, before you judge somebody, before you snap to a conclusion, walk a mile in another person's shoes.
Just remind yourself that, that there's still a work in progress too. You know, when companies launch a, a new website, a new app, or maybe a new feature on their website, a lot of times they'll, they'll go through uh, what they call kind of a, a beta site, right? And some of you do this all the time in your businesses, right? It, it's, a, it's a beta site. It, it's, it's available for public use, but everybody knows it's not perfect. It's still a work in progress. In fact, is they invite you, try it out, give us some feedback, tell us what's working well, what's not working well, what's a bug, what needs to be fixed, all of those sort of things. Interestingly enough, when Google launched Gmail, they kept it as a beta site for several years, for several years, inviting people, use it, uh, but, but understand what it is. It's a beta site. One author put it this way. He said, a beta site is a grace-expected site. It's a grace-expected site. Uh, you go and you use that, but you expect it's not going to be perfect. You expect it's still going to need some work. You expect there's a bug to fix or something to tweak along the way. He said, what would it... What difference would it make in our relationships if we began to approach other people as a grace-expected person? <laughs> that they're, they're a beta, right? They're still in process. They're still under construction. What, what difference might it make if, if we treated each other in our families as beta, grace-expected? What difference might it make in our working relationships? What difference might it make in our social contacts or in our churches if we just kind of went in and said, you know what? Beta. <laughs> grace expected. We all have grace expected. We all need it, and we all need to extend it. Learn to look at life from the perspective of others. So we nurture our relationship with God. He helps us to look at things differently from an eternal perspective, his perspective, from the perspective of others. But I also want to, just uh, in a very practical way, just encourage you to cultivate a sense of humor, to cultivate a sense of humor. Uh, sometimes we, we just need to lighten up a little bit, right? Have you ever been in one of those situations where it was just tense, you know, and, and it seems like it may, maybe you were working on something and I don't know about you you, but I, you know, there are times I'm trying to do something mechanical and I, I swear I had a mechanical bypass or something at some point. And, you know, it's kind of like all these pieces aren't fitting like they were. I can get real frustrated about that and grow impatient. Or maybe you've been in a meeting and it just seems like it's bogging down and tensions are rising and nerves are getting frayed. And then in those moments, maybe whether you're alone or maybe with a group or something, suddenly something happens or somebody says something and you just, you just kind of... I mean, it's just, you begin to, you just begin to see the humor in it. You begin, maybe just as a group, you just start to laugh. What happens when that happens? Tension drops, right? I mean, you've still got the mess to clean up. You've still got the same problem to deal with. You, the facts haven't changed around the situation. Uh, but suddenly, the temperature in the room's dropped. The tension's been released just because you were able to laugh. Listen, some of us 
would go a long way to developing patience if we just quit taking ourselves so doggone serious, right? You know, sometimes I say, listen, you might as well laugh at yourself and join everybody else, right? I mean, you know, I mean, listen, you know, I, I, I look at the stupid things I do and say, other people are laughing at it. I might as well get in on the party, right? I might as well laugh at it too, you know? Proverbs puts it this way, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Sometimes we just just need to be able to to laugh. Somebody said if you can laugh at it, you can live with it. If you laugh at it, you can live with it. Some of us would be well served just to, to, to lighten up a little bit, to look for the humor, to not take ourselves quite so seriously along the way. I've told you before, one of my historical heroes is Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was asked one time, how do you do it? How, how do you handle just the, the, the pressures and just the, everything that went with being president during the Civil War? And just the gut-wrenching decisions and a nation torn apart and families against families and hearing the stories and the incompetence of different generals and all the stuff that he had to deal with. Here was part of Lincoln's response. He said, if it had not been for laughter, I could not have made it. I could not have made it. His laughter wasn't that he didn't take it very seriously. He took it incredibly seriously. It weighed so heavily upon him. But laughter, laughter helped him to deal with it. If you can laugh at it, you can live with it. Cultivate a sense of humor. And then fourthly, I'm going to just encourage you to trust in God's timing. To trust in God's timing. That God's time, and even as we talked about God's ways, God's time is not our time. Earlier we talked about Jesus had this special relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this family, this home was a place of refuge for it. He he, he dearly loved this family. There's an episode recorded for us in the Gospels where Lazarus gets sick. I mean, deathly sick. He is at the point of death. But they know. They know Jesus' power. They know Jesus can heal. And so what do you do in a time like that? You, you, You cry out. You call out. You send for this friend, this one who you love and who loves you, come fix this situation. And there in John's gospel, there's this very interesting sentence. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. And so, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? He loved them. He could have healed them. And yet, when that cry came, he didn't drop everything and rush to their side. He intentionally waited two more days before he made a move. And in those two days, Lazarus died. What's up with that? Because God's timing is not our timing. And Jesus was going to teach them something that they didn't know. They already knew him as healer. They did not know him yet 
as the resurrection and the life. They did not, they already knew that he had power over disease. What they were about to find out is that he had power over death. And so he delayed on purpose. And on purpose he could show them something that they had not yet experienced or known. And he comes, and as you read the the rest of the story there in John's gospel, and, and he resuscitates Lazarus from the dead. Some of you may have cried out to God, fix this. Fix this. Fix this relationship. Fix this disease. Fix this job loss. Fix this situation. Fix this. Move. And it appears that he's just sitting. See, impatience grows as we walk by sight and not by faith. If I, if I just look at what I can see, my impatience is going to grow. But the Gospels and re- encourage us, and Paul and his writings reminds us, where we walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, yes, uh, understand the facts. Yes, do your due diligence. Yes, do everything that, that you can humanly do. But understand that that's not all there is to the story. Understand that just because it's not working out on your timing doesn't mean that God's not at work. That God's timing is so often different from ours. And sometimes developing patience says, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand why you're waiting two days. I don't understand why you haven't moved in two weeks or two months or two years or two decades. But God, even though I can't see it with my physical eyes, I'm going to trust in your timing. You see, when it comes to developing patience, we have to just come back to the sure fact that God isn't in a hurry. God isn't in a hurry. I'm often in a hurry. You're often in a hurry. God isn't in a hurry. He knows what he's doing. I mean, I mean, th- think about it, right? Noah, 120 years, this building, this ark, and it hadn't rained. Abraham, 100 years old before Isaac's born. Moses, 40 years on the backside of the desert before he runs into a burning bush. God isn't in a hurry. He knows what he's doing. Someone pointed out that you can grow a squash in a season. But it takes decades to grow a mighty oak. What do you want your life to be? A squash or a mighty oak? You can get a squash in a hurry. But if you want a life that is reflective of the character of God, if you want to fulfill God's purposes for your life, if you want to be shaped for eternal glory, it's going to take time. God isn't in a hurry, and He knows what he's about and so I'm just going to encourage you encourage you today 
God isn't finished with you yet. He isn't finished with that person that irritates you yet. He's not done working in that circumstance or that situation that is causing you great consternation right now. And he also isn't in a hurry. But God knows what he is about. 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Peter 3. We saw just a moment ago in verse 8 that he is has a different perspective on time. But look at verse 9, the very next verse. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's not slow about his promises. He's right on time. Listen, if God had not been patient with me, I, I would never have come to know him. In fact, is if God delivered swift justice, I wouldn't have another beat of my heart or breath in my lungs upon my sin. But God is patient. And that patience is designed to lead us to repentance. You know, it may very well be that God has you here today because he has been patient with you. Patient to bring you to a point where you recognize your need for repentance, to trust in him, to trust in his work, his timing, and his way. God knows what he's doing. He's not slow about his promises. In his patience, he's calling you to repentance, calling you to faith, calling you to trust in him. Let's bow our heads together as we pray, please. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your patience. Father, thank you that you have been so loving, so merciful, so patient with us. And Father, that, that even now you are at work in lives. And Father, I, I pray right now, Father, that, that there may be those in this room right now that you have been patient with, that you have, have preserved their life. You have brought them to this moment to recognize their need for you, their need for a Savior, to come face to face with the reality of, of their rebellion, of their, their, their sin against a holy God. And Lord, their need for a Savior, their need for rescue their need for you to do what only you can do in saving them and so father let today be the day of repentance let today be the day of faith let today be the day that your patience and kindness draws them to you lord let today be the day of their salvation Lord, I I pray right now for those that name your name in this place, Lord, for those of us that that are still in beta testing. Uh, Lord, you're you're still working in our lives, and thank you for your patience. And Lord, would you, just, would you just show us where it is that we most need to develop and display that godly patience, perhaps toward another in the middle of a situation or a circumstance. Father, would you just help us today to trust that you're going to use the interruptions irritations and inconveniences you're going to use all of those things to shape us to mold us to prepare us 
And Father, help us to do our part in partnering with you, cooperating with you, in nurturing the fruit of patience in our lives. As you just sit before the Lord right now, I'm going to just have just a couple of moments before we close for you just to be in the presence of God.